I still feel odd about Juneteenth being a national holiday. There's been so much whiplash from people not even recognizing what it is. And now it's a day where most people have off now. I don't want people to point at a national holiday and think that we just have all the freedoms that we should have as Black people in this country. Or, or say, well, this is a step towards more freedom. I'm like, no, it's not that. I don't know what gives you the most feeling of a chafing, but that's what gives me the most feeling of being chafed about Juneteenth and it being a national holiday because I don't want you to think this is like the end of a push or the goal has been reached or the apogee has been hit. Like, no, 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 no. It's not that. Welcome back, everyone, to Stuck With Damon Young, the show where we don't celebrate shit on the 4th of July. I mean, sure, we might be off of work and we might eat a grilled hot dog. We might watch some fireworks, which I guess does sound like a celebration. But still, we ain't celebrating shit. So my relationship with America, the concept of patriotism, and even the celebration of these summer holidays has evolved as my conscientiousness about our country has. But I still carry some really deep ambivalence about what celebration even means. And to attempt to get to the bottom of this bottomless ambivalence, I'm joined by Juanita Tolliver, host of the Crooked Media Podcast, What A Day. And then, for Dare Damon, W. Kamel Bell comes back to help answer a really difficult question about when it's time to end a friendship. All right, y'all. Let's get it. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Juanita Tolliver is a political analyst for MSNBC and also the host of the Crooked Media podcast, What A Day. Juanita. Yes. All right. So I got a question for you. Fire away. Do you celebrate 4th of July? As an adult, no. Okay. But I did as a kid because I'm a Navy brat. So both my parents were active duty Navy until middle school. And when I tell you it was on the base with the other military families, flyovers and fireworks, right? Like that was it. Mm -hmm. But all that kind of immediately disappeared when they left the service, right? Like, I don't know if that was like them having to be respectful to their units or their commanding officer or whatever, but we were there all the time, especially on the 4th of July as a kid growing up. And you say you don't anymore. You don't celebrate the 4th anymore. No. Okay. When did you stop? When did I stop? I think it was definitely with the transition of my parents out of the service. We just stopped as a unit. Okay. Add that on to the fact that most summers I was away from home. So it was like prep schools or cheer camps or whatever. And it just wasn't a a thing. Mm -hmm. But also that transition with my parents leaving the service, we were in Memphis and... 
middle school was also the first time I transitioned from predominantly white schools to all black schools. Mm -hmm. And it was just like not a thing. It was not the thing to do or celebrate or really take part in. And being at those, you know, predominantly black environments there was just like, no, that we ain't about that life, you know? So my friends weren't doing it. My parents were no longer doing it. Like no external forces were pushing me that way. I feel like, you know, any conscientious black person, I don't want to say person of color because I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think any conscientious... I appreciate that because it's different. Yeah, it's a different relationship with America, but I feel like any conscientious black person is going to have an answer that's similar to yours where, you know, I celebrated when I was a kid, right? maybe when I was a teenager, but once I became an adult and once I just became more aware of America and what the 4th of July actually means and what it means to be an American, what it means to be patriotic, you know, my feelings about all of that have kind of waned. That's been my experience too. But I guess my follow-up question is, so you don't celebrate on the 4th, but I'm presuming you don't work. So what do you do during that day? It's so funny you framed it that way because I legit told my boss, I was like, I don't know what our recording schedule is, but I'm available because I ain't doing shit. (laughs) 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 Like, I said it just like that. And the rest of the team was like, well, I don't know if we available. I was like, this is for me. I'm around. So I have offered my services on the 4th of July. (laughs) I'm not intending to not work, but it's not just me running my show over there. But yeah, I mean, usually even still, like 4th of July, I just go about my business. If I'm writing or scheduled to write or scheduled to do TV or scheduled to do media, I still do that stuff. Like it, it doesn't disrupt any of my workflow. But yeah, I'm not grilling out or nothing. So I guess that's what I want to get back to. There's the, I guess, the big macro idea of celebration, capital letter celebration of the fourth. Yeah. It's flags, it's fireworks, it's America. It's, you know. <laughs> the, the timber in your voice just captured the boom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's America. <laughs> it's hot dogs, hamburgers, all that. And so I was talking to my producers about the fourth last week or maybe the week before and about like, you know, also I don't celebrate, but I am also usually off. Now, if I still have a work thing that I need to do, I'm going to do it. But it's summertime. I like to grill. Yeah. So I'm very often grilling. Right. Or I'm around grilled food. And if there are fireworks present, I do not buy fireworks. I do not set off fireworks. But if there are fireworks present, I will watch the fireworks. Mm. I will have an appreciation of the fireworks, right? Yeah. And so I am still celebrating, (laughs) (laughs) right? So even if I don't... But see, present participle is different. Like, are you present during a celebration or are you actively celebrating? I think there's a difference, right? Like, I think you can appreciate a firework. I don't know. We think of celebration as like this capital C celebration of America. Yeah. And okay. And so you subvert that. You don't do that anymore. Right. But I'm still doing all the things that I was doing before. Like I still might have people over. Right. Or I still might go over someone's house. If there are fireworks, you know, at night, you know, I might get up on my deck and watch the fireworks. Yeah. I'm not buying any flags. I'm not pledging allegiance to anything. 
Right. You know what I mean? I'm not inviting over, you know, Daenerys Republican. Gosh. <laughs> so we can so we can have a debate about about civics. <laughs> I don't know what white people do. Whatever the fuck they do <laughs> on this day, <laughs> invite a Republican. I just made that shit up. But um, I don't partake in any of that. But it's like, I don't celebrate, but I do all the shit that is associated with this particular day and the celebration of this particular day. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out if it's possible to make a distinction there. And I don't really think that there is. But do you need to? Like, I think when we talk about Fourth of July, it's like it clearly represents something very different in our minds. It also makes us feel whatever we feel when we reflect on the history of this country and, you know, the genocide that occurred and the horrible, horrible things that happened to Black people who were enslaved and the process of building it. But I don't think you need to parse out anything different if you don't want to. Yeah. And my mother would always say that. She's like, I mean, my service was for you to do what the fuck you want. <laughs> like, If you feel like being around grilled food and it just happens to be the 4th of July, that's fine. <laughs> I agree that it's fine, but I just, I think that this is maybe, you know, maybe something I need to work out in therapy Mm. and you're just the stand in for the therapist that I do (laughs) not have yet because I'm between therapists. I mean, I'll take the hourly fee of whatever therapist charges. I could cash app you. I could cash (laughs) app you when we're done with this. I just think of it as a form of like activism in a way. That is more performance. Mm. I don't want to suggest that you're doing this because, again, I don't know what you do. Yeah. But there's the performance of like, oh, fuck the fourth. Fuck America. But it's also, okay, let me grill these hot dogs. (laughs) Let me eat these burgers. Let me let me not work. And let me watch these fireworks. And I think that that sort of ambivalence that I'm trying to express right now is just indicative of existing while black in America. Mm hmm particularly existing while Black and somewhat conscientious in America. Because there's a lot of us who don't give a shit, who... Yes. Yeah, 4th of July. Oh, America, great celebration. But I think that I was getting progressively towards that, but things got even more severe, like around 2015, 2016. Because I remember even watching the Olympics, you know, 2012, 2008. And cheering okay. for all the American teams and also feeling, not necessarily a national pride, but feeling like, you know what? I know these niggas. <laughs> my countrymen. Because I was going to say, I don't know about you, but when it comes to the Olympics, we watch the events that black people are in. Well, I did growing up. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm um, basketball, basketball and track. Yeah. So I'm watching basketball and I'm watching track. Track and field, period. Yeah. A little bit of figure mm-hmm. skating. <laughs> like, yeah. Gymnastics, too. Gymnastics, for sure. And that same feeling. I guess this doesn't really exist the same way. Mm. And it's something that, again, I'm trying to just, one, acknowledge and also acknowledge my own complicity in it because, again, what am I doing? If I'm saying I'm abstaining from celebration, but I'm actually doing the exact same shit that I was doing before I said I was abstaining from the celebration. Well, let's also get into the context of the timing of the pivot. You said 1516. Let's think about what was happening in those years. You had a white nationalist leading the Republican ticket. You had uh, Mm -hmm. 
let's be real, uh, targeted violence still against black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. You had a lot more Republicans feeling comfortable just being racist every day, blatantly in a way that, let's be real, being from the South, I've seen a whole lot of racism. It's just different now because zero fucks are given like few fucks were given before but zero are given now Mm -hmm. it's a platform it's a standard bearer of uh, one of the two major parties in this country at this point and so with that in mind you said the ambivalence gets at you now what were you experiencing in that moment that triggered it well the same the same and i think that the ambivalence about America and about just the acknowledgement of Mm -hmm. what America is and who America has been and what America is to me. That's something that was 2016 wasn't the first time I experienced any of that. Right, right. It was a pivotal moment, though. Yeah. But yeah, there are certain events, certain times that can serve as a catalyst. And, you know, that 2015, 2016 time did, I guess, exacerbate our journey that I was already on. So we have the fourth. And, you know, also this year, earlier this year, we celebrated Juneteenth, mm-hmm. which is now a nationally recognized holiday. I'm curious what your relationship with Juneteenth has been. Yeah, I remember the first Juneteenth event I went to. I was in high school and I went with a couple of friends and it was just black people vibing, black people being happy, vendors selling black owned products and goods Mm -hmm. and so i was excited but i was embarrassed i was like i'm in high school why am i just now learning about the event learning about the moment learning about the community learning about like and i'm in memphis and just now getting that you know like it felt like embarrassed to be late (laughs) essentially yeah right and unaware and of course that has a lot to do with the subpar education system in this country and how it erases key components of history of course yeah and we're still even this year figuring out the explicit background of juneteenth because there's the reality that you know the emancipation proclamation didn't actually free slaves you know like it's layered and i just remember being like 15 maybe at that event and just feeling very embarrassed like i'm so fucking late y'all i'm sorry Educate me, help me, get me up to speed, you know? (laughs) That was the vibe for high school version of me recognizing Juneteenth. Juneteenth is something that I was always aware of, or at least I've been aware of for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. And I didn't learn that in schools. It was more my parents just, you know, telling me about it, teaching me about it. But I didn't, we didn't recognize it as like a day to celebrate. It was just like this day recognizes the day that slaves in Texas were emancipated. Right. Because, you know, and my parents explained, yeah, it's not like they had the internet back then. And And nobody texted nobody. You know, once the Emancipation Proclamation, no one was texting. It's not like the slave owners were like, you know what? Right. Y'all are free. So y'all are free now. I mean, it, took a while right you know what i mean for that shit to happen right you know i still feel odd about juneteenth being a national holiday Mm -hmm. you know there's been so much whiplash from you know as you're saying people not even recognizing what it is or why it is and now it's a day where most people have off now that's the part that gives me the rub because 
They don't know why in most cases. Yeah. And I don't want people to point at a national holiday and think that we just have all the freedoms that we should have as black people in this country or or say, well, this is a step towards more freedom. I'm like, no, it's not that. Yeah. That's not the same (laughs) at all. And so I don't know what gives you the most feeling of a chafing, but that's what gives me the most feeling of being chafed (laughs) about Juneteenth and it being a national holiday because I don't want you to think this is like the end of a push or the goal has been reached or the apogee has been hit. Like, no, 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 no. It's not that. Yeah. We are maybe three or four years away from people on the right using Juneteenth the way that they use MLK and MLK Day. Right. It's like, you know, on this Juneteenth holiday, as we celebrate the magnanimity of white people. Oh, God. Of Texas white people freeing all the slaves. Oh, God. We need to remember oh. that race-based policies. I'm having convulsions. Should not be in schools. Oh, <laughs> no, but that's the line. Did you see the map? Did you see the overlapping map of where... Juneteenth is not recognized and where there are bans on teaching Black history. It's literally the same places. It's already happening. And I'll take you to the other end of the political spectrum. You remember a couple years back, uh, House Democrats taking a knee with their kente cloths around their shoulders? Yeah. And how, like, it goes both sides. It's not just exclusively on the right abusing such information. It's just, like, harmful from all directions. And as a Black person in politics, I'm standing around like, everybody's wrong here. Ain't nobody getting it right. Yeah. I feel the way about Juneteenth that I feel about words that existed that were intra-community terms, right? Yes. And then someone... Let someone to a cookout. Not invited, not allowed. Someone left the <laughs> gate open, and then someone from outside of the community heard this term and then, you know, brought it back to outside of the gate. And then other people from outside the gate started using it. And it becomes such a thing where I don't say twerk or swag or Ugh. I don't say that shit unironically anymore. These shits, they're gone. They left. Co-opted, appropriated, taken. (laughs) They've been co-opted. It's done. And so I envision the same thing happening with Juneteenth, where maybe even like 15, 20 years from now, when the equivalents of us are podcasting about how they feel about Juneteenth, Mm. you know what I mean? And someone's like, yeah, you know, I don't like I used to celebrate when I was a kid, but, you know, I don't I don't really celebrate that anymore. Yikes. Hell of a bleak picture, Damon. I've got to put out a a positive alternative universe where, you know, God, I can't even say it because it feels so unrealistic. Black people actually being free. <laughs> like, like it, it feels unrealistic. And I'm talking about free in the sense of, who said it? Nina Simone, I guess, was like, freedom is no fear. I can live how I want where I want, when I want, who, with whomever I want, with no fear. I, I don't I don't even think that's possible for Black people in America. Yes. I'm also curious, you know, I guess about your relationship. Being a Black person working in a predominantly white space, and, you know, you have these different feelings about the holidays and about so much other, but particularly about these holidays that perhaps your coworkers do. 
And I'm curious if that has ever been a thing where, you know, someone, you know, maybe at the job was like making a big deal about the fourth and this and that. And you're like, eh, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm that asshole. I have that rep. (laughs) And let's be real. I don't care anymore about the reactions when I do say it. Mm -hmm. And that took a lot of uh, growth, but also confidence in my own career and my own self to be able to just be like, I don't give a fuck. Like, even yesterday, I told the team, I'm available to record on July 4th. And everybody's (laughs) looking at me like, "Uh." (laughs) I don't care. Like, I I, I think what's important, though, to keep in mind for me in particular is that I was Navy brat, born in Virginia, started school in Bermuda, got to Memphis, Tennessee, still going to predominantly white schools all the way up to middle school, high school. Right. I've been doing this since day one. And what I appreciate about my own experience is caring less and less about the reactions and caring more about just speaking up for myself and what I care about. So I've been developing that muscle since the beginning, you know, and I hope more and more people can because who cares? Well, for someone who has worked in predominantly white spaces, how did you develop that confidence? Was it a product of you becoming more advanced in your career where you could like, you know what, I can say these things without the same consequence of me saying this thing like five or 10 years ago? That was probably a factor. Or was it divorced from your own status in those spaces? I think that was probably a factor. But let's be real, like, I've had three different iterations. We can start with the politics and strategist advocacy lead and campaign director was a different stage from my media work. Mm -hmm. I will say I had an even harder time in the media landscape because the shit I was combating was a makeup artist telling me, oh, your lips are so full. You shouldn't wear a red lip. So I was like, oh. You're giving me the racism to my face in the chair before I go on air. I haven't even touched the set yet. Oh, or the makeup artist underlining my lips saying, oh, they're just so large. And I'm like, bitch, you know, like, how dare you? Fast forward to the host on set looking at me and saying, Juanita, you've worked for politicians. Isn't it like slavery? And I said, I'm black. Nothing compares to what my ancestors experienced. And then him turning to the other guest who was also a white male and saying, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like slavery. And I'm like, ah, like from all directions, behind the scenes, in front of the camera, I course correct you and check you in person. And then you do it again. Right. Like, (laughs) so that and my very nascent media career at present, I just didn't care. I I was like, I can't let you say this to me. Like, I can't let you disrespect me (laughs) like this in private or in public. And I'm going to do what I want. So I wear my red lip. Mm -hmm. I tell people they're white supremacists and fascists on camera. I don't care. And I don't think that's about the length of my career because my, again, my media career is pretty new. But I think it's about just being my grandma's granddaughter. I'm Aurelia's granddaughter. And I'm going to say it. (laughs) Juanita, thank you for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me, Damon. This was a lot of fun. Truly vibes. Up next for Dear Damon, we're joined by the homie W. Kamel Bell. But first, Damon Hates.
So I've started eating oatmeal for breakfast. Not every morning, but many mornings. I'd say like three mornings a week. And this makes me very depressed because breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. Like bacon, eggs, all the pancakes, all the French toast, all the waffles, all the grits, all the things that make a good breakfast a good breakfast. Like I love breakfast so much that we actually had a brunch wedding with bacon, eggs, pancakes, waffle station, omelet station, all that. All right, we did that. And so it saddens me, it deeply troubles me that because of some health concerns, because I'm getting older, because I need to be more mindful with this motherfucking shit, I have to put away the delicious bacon. I have to put away the juicy eggs. I don't even really like juicy eggs. I like my eggs to be fried over hard. But anyway, I can't do the eggs and the bacon as much as I used to, as much as I want to, because I need to eat, quote unquote, heart healthy foods. So motherfucking oatmeal, which Every time I go somewhere and I ask for oatmeal, people think I'm asking for oat milk. And I don't know if that's an issue with my pronunciation or just the fact that no one goes into places and asks for oatmeal, except for 44-year-old niggas who want to stay alive. <laughs> so anyway, I'm hesitating because I actually don't hate the taste of the oatmeal. I don't like, you know, you could jazz it up. You could put some granola in it. You could put some like dried fruits in it, like a dried apricot, a dried blueberry, maybe even an actual blueberry, you know, if you have some actual blueberries with you. So it's not the experience of eating the oatmeal that I hate, but it's just the fact that I have to do it because I don't want to be forced to have to disregard my breakfast, my bacon for motherfucking oatmeal, but it is what it is and you just got to do some things you got to do. So... Debbie Kamel Bell is to host the award-winning host of United Shades of America and a few other shows, a few other things. Morgan, the producer, what we got going this week? Dear Damon, have you ever been in a situation where you had to end, leave a deep, long-standing friendship in defense of your mental health? All right, Debbie Kamel Bell, thank you for coming back for another episode of Stuck with Damon Young. This is a bit different. You know, usually these questions for Dear Damon are lighter or have space for lightness this is a tough one have you ever experienced a friend breakup yes <laughs> that's funny it's much easier for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've definitely left friendships where it was like our friendship is not healthy anymore yeah mm -hmm. and it could be that you're in a very unhealthy place and i don't want to get drugged into your unhealthiness or it could be that like i don't like the way we friend anymore so yeah i think the older you get the more often that happens Especially if you're if you're just going into different areas where your friend isn't going into and there's sort of a pullback or a lot of this also happens around like I find in my life is having our issues of substance abuse. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I appreciate how you use friend as a verb there. I just wanted to acknowledge that <laughs> it reminds me of the people who use summer as a verb. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> where did you summer last summer? <laughs> Have you ever had a friend break up with you? Have I had a friend break up with me? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have friends where it's like, whatever happened to that friend? And so I feel like it is a breakup, but I feel like friend breakups often don't happen that like I have to break up with you. It's just like, huh, 
you don't really text me back anymore. So yeah, I would I would imagine there are people out there who had to break up with me for some reason. Because there are definitely people that you think about like, I thought we were going to be friends forever. <laughs> and then you suddenly realize, I don't talk to that person anymore. Well, you know, it's funny because I guess there are two distinct types of friend breakups. The first is, you know, what you just mentioned where, and I've had this happen before a few times where maybe I'm looking to text someone, right? Mm -hmm. And I go and I look and I'm like, oh, we haven't actually texted each other in like seven months. Mm -hmm. And then you have like the receipts, you have all the old text exchanges or whatever. It's like, oh, we used to be, you know, mm -hmm. if not daily, weekly, checking in on each other, you know, mm -hmm. sharing a joke, doing this, doing that. And sometimes life happens. And sometimes it's the relationship. It's, you know, someone maybe has outgrown the relationship. Someone maybe hasn't grown enough. Yeah. And, you know, there are sometimes when people, particularly, unfortunately, when you have, you know, a friend who is like an opposite sex friend, then, you know, sometimes when a person gets in a new romantic relationship. Yep, yep, yep. Or new partnership, then their opposite sex friends kind of fall to the wayside. And, and I get that. I get that on both ends because sometimes it's not even necessarily like an intentional thing, but you know, it's like, well, I only have this much space in my life mm -hmm. and I have to sacrifice some space. I have to sacrifice some bandwidth. And unfortunately you have, you didn't make the cut. <laughs> You've been cut. You've been sacrificed. Your seams have been cut, <laughs> right? You're on the call sheet, but you didn't make, <laughs> Yeah, you didn't make the final version. <laughs> I've thought since I was a kid that I think people define the word friend too broadly. Like you may know a lot of folks, mm -hmm. but you should only have like a small handful of friends. I think by the time you get past three, you're starting to really <laughs> pretend with some of those people. <laughs> but three? <laughs> it's not that you can't be friendly with people or hang out with people. But for, for me, friend means like I call you up at three in the morning. And if you get that call, you just pick up. It's not about like, ooh, why is he calling me so late? It's like, oh, he's calling me. Something's going on. Well, you know what? I actually called someone out about that a couple of years ago, a person here in Pittsburgh who wrote an article or maybe a big email. Anyway, something that was seen by a lot of people mm -hmm. where they refer to me as like their friend. Mm. You could have said friendly. We're friendly. We have a good relationship, mm -hmm. but we are not friends. We've never spoken outside of like a professional context before. Yeah. People say they're your friend because you've had a lot of professional encounters. It's like, dude, I don't know you. <laughs> I feel like also when someone says that person is a friend. Oh, yeah. I feel like that is kind of a hedging. You're not calling them your friend, yeah. but you are saying that you're not just acquaintances. You mm -hmm. are friendly. You have a good relationship. We're regularly in community with each other. Yeah, they're they're a friend, but they're not you're not friends, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they are a friend. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's like that scene in uh, Donnie Brasco where it's like he's a good fella. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like. There's a difference between like, I know this guy and this guy's in my mafia family. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a difference. I mean, he's a good fella. Isn't that from like good fellas? I think it is, but Donnie there's something Brasco. in Donnie Brasco where there's some, and somebody's going to correct me, where there's some sort of version of that in Donnie Brasco. It's all part of the same vernacular, obviously, but like, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I've recorded a ton of VOs on United Shades of America. I probably called you a friend in my VO, but it was a way to say to the audience that like, trust this person. If you trust me, trust this person. But me and you aren't friends. Like, I hope it's no surprise. Well, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was hitting at. It's like, I would refer to you as a friend. Yeah. But we're not friends. We don't talk to each other on a regular basis. You're, I'm not hitting you up to talk about, yeah. like, you know. Well, even if you called me about a big career decision and you thought I had, like, if CNN was like, we're going to hire you, <laughs> you know, and you were like, I know somebody who did this, I'm going to call him. 
I would accept that call. Yes. But to me, friends is like there's got to be repetitions over time that creates a thing where it's like Mm -hmm. I got no reason to call you other than help me waste my time. You're right. A friend is someone that you interact with when you do not have a reason to. Yeah. You just want to connect with them. You just want to talk to them. You just want to check in on them. And sometimes, you know, like my best friend lives in um, Luxembourg, Mm. right? And we don't get a chance to talk that often. But when we do check in and when we do talk, we check in and we talk. But that's the relationship that has been developed over, I guess, at this point, like 30, 35 years. Same with me. My best friend lives outside Chicago. He owns a bookstore. His name is Jason. Even my other good friends know that Jason's like the top ranking friend. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not threatened by that because, you know, I see Jeremy a lot more often. But Jason's a guy I've known since high school. All right. So you have the friend breakup where it is like you weren't necessarily great friends to begin with. And you just drift away. Mm -hmm. Two ships drifting away in a sea but then you have the friend breakup where it is an intentional where there's a conversation where something traumatic happens where there's an impetus there's an event and i think this person is asking how do you get over something like that and i've had that experience with a friend a very dear friend who broke up with me essentially and it's hard one thing that makes it distinct from like other sorts of breakups like a romantic Breakup, for instance, one, there isn't a lot of literature or content that you could just drown yourself in to help get over, like songs and movies and all that, that you could like, oh, I'm inhaling all of this. Other people have experienced this. And so I'm going to cry. I'm going to do all this. Well, you don't have that for friend breakups, really. There's no breakup songs for friends that go to the top of the charts. And then also with a romantic breakup, most romantic relationships still exist under at least like the veneer of monogamy even if they're not monogamous they exist under like whatever you need to have one person right whereas for friends you can have as many fucking friends as you need (laughs) and so if a friend breaks up with you it's not because oh they they see another better friend (laughs) that they no they they just don't want you in your life don't want you at all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right yeah no it's you it's me no it's you my fucker. it's you it's you yeah and so that realization does make things a bit harder and i guess for the person who's experiencing this i'm sorry if you know the breakdown kind of re-traumatized you but at the same time it's like well i think the first thing to do is to try to understand what caused this and maybe you're not in a place where you can even reach out to this person to ask and if that's not possible then You know, some reflection, some self-evaluation, some self-awareness is necessary. And I think that if this was a person who was a good friend and, you know, had decided for whatever reason that, you know, they no longer want to be in your life, maybe you need to trust that they had a good reason. Yeah. Maybe you need to trust that they did it because whatever the dynamic of your relationship was, it wasn't healthy for them to continue. I just would imagine this person's probably on the younger side, but maybe not. I just feel like the longer you live, the more you'll understand that some friendships have cycles Mm -hmm. and that cycle may end earlier than you want it to. But that's why it's important to really understand who your real friends are. Like, for example, if my friend Jason called me today and was like, I'm tired of this. That's enough. (laughs) I would be like, (laughs) I would be I would be super sad. I would also understand two things. One, something's happening on his end that is not about me. Or if it is something I've done, maybe something that I want to do and I'm going to continue to do. Mm -hmm. The second thing is maybe in a year you guys will be friends again because that has happened to me too 
Hariko Ndabolu, who's publicly I'm very good friends with, and we are really good friends. Mm -hmm. We had a moment where I was like, this friendship is over. It is done. And, you know, time heals some wounds. It does not heal all wounds. And we came back together. We acknowledged what happened in that moment. And, you know, we realized we enjoyed each other's company more than we enjoyed not hanging out with each other. And then there's times where, like, I have worked really hard to figure out why a person has stopped hanging out with me. And I keep sort of trying to, like, extend myself and extend myself. And then at some point I stop. And then at some point a person will reach back out to me like, I'm ready. And I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> like, if you live long enough, you will find ways to fill the friend hole so you don't have to always have that one friend. And a funny thing, too, and I guess this goes for romantic relationships when you or on the, the end, when you're the person who's being broken up with and you are curious about why you think you want to know, but sometimes maybe you don't. Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes things are better left unsaid, better left unknown. For sure. Because maybe they might say a thing that hurts you that you weren't expecting to hear about yourself. That you didn't need to hear. Yeah, maybe the breakup is them protecting you. <laughs> so they don't have to say that to you, <laughs> right? The question is, do you enjoy yourself? Do you think you're a good person? Do you think you're a good friend? Now, your other friend might define all those things differently. And so you realize, oh, they don't think the way I'm being a friend is a good friend. But as long as I enjoy myself, I think I'm a good person and I'm a good friend then you got to like understand that like these things just sort of ebb and flow. When you have kids, a lot of people you thought were your friends sort of disappear because they don't have kids. They don't know how to be around kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go, wow, I thought you were going to be my kid's uncle or aunt that sort of play uncle or auntie. And you just bounced. <laughs> you just like <laughs> Well, you know, my version of kids is Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I'm still here and yeah. all of my friends have bounced. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why you got to keep your Luxembourg friend around because you can't rely on all your Pittsburgh friends. So. <laughs> yeah. Having kids didn't make anyone go away. But living in Pittsburgh, definitely. Everyone is exodus. Exodusist. Wait, is there a plural for exodus? I think it'd be exited. I don't know if exodus has a verb. Exited. <laughs> You can do it because we're black and that's what we do, <laughs> but not common, not in the dictionary yet. Thank you for coming back on the show. And again, for the person who wrote in, it's tough. I'm not going to pretend that it ain't, but it will probably get better with time. It'll evolve. As long as you still remain here and in community with other people, lean on the friends you have left who are still your friends to figure out a way to sort of navigate this difficult time, but things will evolve. Lean on the other friends. Yeah. That's how you know someone's your friend, where you can come and say, I'm here to lean on you. And if that person's like, ugh, then they're not your friend. All right. Again, thanks for coming through. Appreciate you. Always. Same. Always. Appreciate being invited. We're still not friends, but we are friendly. Not friends, but a friend. <laughs> All right, man. Bye. Again, I just wanted to thank Juanita Tolliver, W. Kamel Bell coming through today. Great topics, great guests, great people, great conversation. Also, thank you all again for coming through for another week of Stuff with Damien Young. And remember, you could find Stuff with Damien Young on every platform, any platform where podcasts are available, you can find us. Also, if you happen to be on Spotify and you happen to be on the app, please take advantage of the interactive little things we got going, the questionnaires, the answers, all that. It's really fun. So just take advantage of that. And also, if you have any questions about anything whatsoever, hit me up at DearDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Kendra James and Madeline Herringer. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. 
Mixing and Mastering by Sarah Gibbolaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme Music and Score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Spotify, our executive producers are Lauren Silverman, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schultz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam and Crystal Hall Stressler. <laughs>